Welcome. You're listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast, the show that cuts through the fog of war and updates you about the ongoing conflict in Ukraine. With your host, Linnea Hubbard. Don't forget to like, comment and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and Google Podcasts. I'm Linnea Hubbard, and today is Monday, October 31st, 2022. It's been 3,169 days since Russia occupied Crimea on February 27, 2014, and 250 days since the large-scale invasion of Ukraine began. Today's podcast looks at what happened yesterday in the Russia-Ukraine war. The Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War update is compiled by our team from around the world, Today's report includes information from direct contacts in Ukraine and their proxies, Russian Ministry of Defense reports, the General Staff of the Armed Forces of Ukraine reports, Operational Command South of Ukraine, Open Source Intelligence, our in-house team of analysts and geolocation experts, and pro-Ukrainian and pro-Russian mill bloggers and social media accounts with a track record of trying to be accurate. We have one mission, to report the truth, because the truth matters. Let's start with our assessment of the current status of the war. First, both belligerents confirmed that Rasputitsa is slowing down combat operations, and we maintain that winter combat conditions will start in the next four weeks. Second, we maintain that Russia's accusation that Ukraine is preparing to use an improvised nuclear weapon is a disinformation campaign meant to sow fear and division and an attempt to discredit the Ukrainian government. The Kremlin appears to be moving away from the claim. Third, we maintain that Ukraine holds the battlefield initiative, forcing Russian troops to remain in a defensive posture. Fourth, we maintain that the Russian military within Ukraine is combat-destroyed and is incapable of mounting offensive operations larger than a company. Fifth, we maintain that Russian forces in Belarus remain a credible threat and that an invasion of western Ukraine is possible in the next 40 to 70 days. Sixth, despite the GUR statement from Ukraine, we maintain our assessment that Russian forces are engaged in a withdrawal from Kherson, which will likely continue over the next four to eight weeks. Seventh, our assessment that terror attacks on civilians and civilian infrastructure will continue across Ukraine was regrettably accurate with large-scale missile attacks launched due to the Ukrainian attack on the Black Sea Fleet. Eighth, we maintain that the mobilization of up to 300,000 troops has not improved Russian combat strength and exposed the training, logistical, and supply problems within the Russian Federation. The new Mobics are already starting to suffer catastrophic losses. And finally, we assess that the use of tactical nuclear weapons on the battlefield is no longer a threat— based on the Kremlin's response to the attack on the Black Sea Fleet. Let's get some regional updates, and since it's Monday, check in with both belligerents' objectives, starting, of course, with the Kherson counteroffensive and Mykolaiv. The Russian objective is to execute a controlled withdrawal of collaborators, government officials, military leaders, and experienced troops while rotating Mobiks to the front, hold existing defensive lines, protect the Novokakhovka ground line of communication, called a G-lock, that's a supply line, and restrict insurgent activity. The Ukrainian objective is to liberate the Kherson Oblast west of the Dnipro River, 
and push Russian forces back far enough to end multiple launch rocket system, or MLRS, attacks on Nikolaev. The General Staff of the Armed Forces of Ukraine, or GSAFU, provided an artillery report today, which provided limited insight on the status of the front west and northwest of Kherson. The Russian Ministry of Defense claimed there was fighting on the northern front, launching attacks on Ishenka, Pyatikhatki, and Chervoni Yar. Chervoni Yar is eight kilometers south of the previously known line of conflict, which is eyebrow-raising, and asks the question, did Ukrainian forces liberate Sukhanova? The Russian MOD claimed all three attacks were unsuccessful, and we have no way to verify the veracity of their reports. The GSAFU reported Ukrainian positions were shelled in Pravdine and Ternovipodi, suggesting no change in the line of conflict, and both settlements remain no-man's land. In Kherson, the Antonovsky Bridge ferry crossing was hit by rockets fired by HIMARS on October 29th and 30th. One of the strikes destroyed two barges carrying Russian troops and equipment. Russian occupation forces have turned off the internet again in Kherson and expanded the outage to Novokhovka. Ukrainian officials claim that Russian engineers are dismantling the cellular towers in Kherson and relocating the equipment to other areas under Russian occupation. Russian occupation officials have ended the requirement that all transactions must be done in rubles and have returned to the so-called dual currency system to prop up the value of the Russian currency. Wargonzo quasi-journalist Valentin Nekhinov wrote a surprisingly candid report on the situation in Kherson. He wrote there were no working hotels, only a handful of shops, and the one restaurant he ate at appeared to be for Russians only. Russian life has turned Kherson into a city of beggars, with Valentin saying, quote, There were many beggars to whom I gave money with a strange sequence, as if paying the city for the reception. End quote. After spending the night with a Russian soldier, they had to carefully examine his vehicle for bombs before driving off. Russian troops told him the city has, quote, frequent cases of explosive devices. Well, that's a way to put it. Wargonzo also reported that Chechen and Russian troops were fighting amongst themselves on the city's outskirts. Quick assessment here. We've been reluctant to share unverified reports of gunfire within or near Kherson. The report from Nekhinov of fighting among Russian troops adds weight to these reports and suggests the gunfire is Russian-aligned units fighting each other. We have previously reported numerous acts of fratricide involving Chechen forces, including in Kherson. In Novokhovka, Russian occupation authorities are telling civilians they have 48 hours to evacuate and to force the population to abandon the city Water, electricity, and natural gas service were turned off. Store owners were told they had until November 1st to sell off their inventory. The GSAFU reported that medical personnel and hospital equipment were being removed from the city. It was also reported that Russian forces were preparing to withdraw artillery units from the west bank of the Dnipro. West of Kherson, Russian forces are deploying barbed wire in Miloserka and Chornobaivka. Okay, time for some assessment. The removal of artillery pieces from the west bank of the Dnipro would be the biggest indicator that Russia intends to withdraw from Kherson. The singular defensive and offensive weapon advantage Russia continues to maintain is in artillery. 
with the Russian air forces struggling to have air parity in the region without the protection of artillery, Russian ground forces will be put into an untenable situation of being little more than speed bumps for a Ukrainian advance. Although the deployment of barbed wire would indicate that Russia is preparing to defend the city of Kherson, the placement is to the west only at this time. Removing cell towers is another indication that Russian troops are planning to withdraw. Due to a lack of field radios, many Russian units depend on the internet and cellular access to receive information. While Ukrainian forces have access to Starlink for now, Russian troops don't have that advantage. Operational Command South, or OCS, reported three airstrikes, and ground forces conducted 156 fire missions. Ammunition depots in the Bereslav Rayon and southwest Mykolaiv were destroyed. In Mykolaiv, Russian forces shelled Ochaki from the Kinburn Spit again, with no reports of injuries or significant damage. A video, which we link to in our full situation report on Patreon, showed a Russian missile heading toward Mykolaiv malfunctioning and turning 180 degrees mid-flight. It's unclear if the missile suffered a technical malfunction or was disabled in an electronic warfare attack. As part of a defensive effort against punitive missile strikes by the Russian Federation, OCS reported that 10 Russian KH-101 cruise missiles were intercepted and destroyed over the Mykolaiv Oblast in the early morning hours. Let's move on to Dnipropetrovsk and Zaporizhia. The Russian objective is to integrate the oblast into the Russian Federation, capture the rest of the oblast, break civilian will with continued terror attacks and the destruction of electrical, natural gas, and water infrastructure, and turn popular opinion against Ukraine by terrorizing the Zaporizhia nuclear power plant. The Ukrainian objective is to prevent further Russian advances, exploit weaknesses on the line of conflict, and protect civilians. The situation at the Zaporizhia nuclear power plant is unchanged and remains stable. There is still no update on the three kidnapped Enerhoatom employees. The Russian MOD accused Ukraine of shelling ZNPP. The Kremlin claimed that Ukrainian forces attempted another amphibious landing to capture Enerhodar and the power plant, and a great glorious victory was achieved with the destruction of one boat. Ukrainian sources claim that Russian forces shelled Enerhodar from ZNPP, damaging a transformer farm and knocking out power to half the city. The International Atomic Energy Agency, or IAEA, did not report any shelling at the plant or attacks in the immediate area. Punitive missile attacks were launched across Ukraine, with energy-producing facilities in Pavlorad and Dnipro both hit, causing serious damage. The city of Zaporizhia was also struck by a Russian cruise missile, damaging electrical infrastructure and causing power outages. As part of Russian punitive attacks on civilians, three cruise missiles were fired at Kriviri. Two were shot down, but a third hit a factory, which was destroyed. No one was killed in the attack. The settlement of Markhanets was attacked by Grad rockets fired by Multiple Launch Rocket Systems, or MLRS. Several homes were damaged, and a 73-year-old woman was hospitalized. Nikopol was also shelled, damaging 10 apartment buildings and breaking a gas pipeline, creating a large fire. No one was injured in the attack. 
In an earlier attack, a missile hit the city of Zaporizhia, but it was unclear if it was a cruise missile or an S-300 anti-aircraft missile used for a ground attack. The missile destroyed a factory with no casualties reported. The strike was unrelated to a wave of revenge Russian missile attacks launched on October 31st. Sporadic artillery fire continued along the line of conflict from the Donetsk-Zaporizhia administrative border to Huliapola to Orkhiv to Pavlivka. Now to the Donbass region, starting with southwest Donetsk. The Russian objective is to integrate the oblast into the Russian Federation, capture the rest of the oblast, and bring the insurrection across southwestern Donetsk under control. The Ukrainian objective is to lock Russian military assets in place, defend the existing line of conflict while finding and exploiting weaknesses, destroy troop concentrations and command and control sites, and interdict supplies and disrupt logistics. The First Army Corps of the Donetsk People's Republic, or DNR, continued broader offensive operations east of Donetsk and made tactical gains north and west of the international airport. Both Ukrainian and Russian sources reported the DNR militia advanced into a patch of forest east of Opitne after Ukrainian forces withdrew due to the area defenses degrading from poor weather. According to Russian sources, DNR and Luhansk People's Republic, or LNR, claims that Ukraine completely withdrew from Opitne were untrue. The DNR was able to advance to the southeast corner of Vodyana, but up against well-established Ukrainian defensive positions and natural water barriers. The People's Militia of the DNR Public Relations Channel claimed their forces destroyed an M777 artillery piece, a 152mm self-propelled howitzer, or SPG, one tank, and seven units of, quote, armored and automotive vehicles. Did they provide evidence? No. No, they did not. Ukrainian forces conducted 224 fire missions on the occupied territories. Pavlo Kirilenko, Donetsk Oblast administrative and military governor, reported that Russian forces shelled the entire line of conflict from Marinka to Lehman. The DNR made another wasteful direct attack on Avdivka, which was unsuccessful. Fighting continued in the eastern part of Marinka and the eastern outskirts of Novobakhmutivka, without any change in the situation. Russian sources claim they launched a large-scale attack on Pavlivka in Donetsk. Ukrainian sources claim the attack was only light infantry comprised of Mobik units with artillery support, and they suffered massive losses. Russian sources claim to have taken control of half the settlement, while Ukrainian forces claim the attack was successfully repulsed at the cost of heavy Ukrainian casualties. Due to the Russian MOD writing mostly fan-fiction war stories, we are inclined to believe Ukrainian sources. Typically reliable Rybar appeared to have phoned it in today, repeating the Russian MOD report word for word. War Gonzo did not report any activity in Pavlivka, which provides another data point that Russian troops were likely unsuccessful. We made a small adjustment to the map based on the reports. Massive lines to evacuate the DNR continued on the Russian border, the real Russian border from before 2014. Long lines of cars and trucks were waiting to cross into Russia at Uspenka. Insurgents in Mariupol documented the arrival of Russian Mobiks into the city, moving west towards Zaporizhia. 
Heavy equipment, including main battle tanks, are also moving through the city. With Russian occupiers closing the Krimsky Bridge, a.k.a. the Kerch Strait Bridge, to non-military traffic. In northeast Donetsk, the Russian objective is to integrate the oblast into the Russian Federation, defend against Ukrainian advances toward Luhansk, and capture Bakhmut Solidar. The Ukrainian objective is to defend Bakhmut Solidar, push into the Luhansk oblast, and minimize civilian casualties. There were no reports of significant fighting on the Solidar-Bakhmut front for the third day in a row, while the situation remains difficult for both belligerents. There were pockets of fighting east of Solidar and Bakhmut, with more intense fighting near the E-40 highway. The Russian MOD and mill bloggers we follow did not report any fighting in the area. Private military company or PMC Wagner Group renewed attacks on Bakhmutska without success. Some assessment here. We had previously assessed that the Ukrainian HIMARS strike on Mayorsk that killed up to 300 Russian troops could have a significant short-term impact on the Solidar-Bakhmut front. It appears that the assessment was accurate. It probably doesn't help that PMC Wagner had to move north to reinforce Bilohorivka, the one in Donetsk. Reliable Ukrainian sources reported that PMC Wagner was pushed back to the east side of the T-513 highway from Klesheivka, Kurdyumivka, and Ozaryanivka. The search for Semyon Pegov's toes continued in Mayorsk to no avail, and the offensive operation to move past the train station was just as successful. On the subject of Pegov, he is out and about with a trash bag over his foot, demonstrating how poorly Russian artillery units store their shells. We do link to the video in our full situation report on Patreon, just as we do with the vast majority of videos we discuss in this podcast. Moving on to Luhansk, where the Russian objective is to integrate the oblast into the Russian Federation, hold current defensive lines, and control insurgency. The Ukrainian objective is to break Russian defensive lines, advance on Svatov, Kremina, and Lysychansk, and support insurgents. The GSAFU reported that Ukrainian forces had made significant gains in Luhansk near Svatov and Lusychansk. Ukrainian forces continue to push down the P-7 highway towards Svatov, securing Novoselivske. Further south, Russian troops blew up the bridge in Krasnorichenske. The road is a secondary G-lock, remember that's like a supply line, that leads to Starobilsk, and indicates that Russian forces are not confident they can defend the ridgeline that follows the P-66 highway to Kremina. Pictures and videos showed Ukrainian tanks operating on the western edge of Chervonopopivka. Russian sources reported intense fighting in Pishene, calling the situation, quote, difficult. Ukrainian forces hold fire control over the P-66 highway G-lock between Berestova and Kremina. Serhii Haidai, Luhansk Oblast administrative and military governor, reported the situation for civilians in Kremina is deteriorating, with no heat, electricity or natural gas services, and store shelves becoming empty as prices skyrocket. Russian forces have been pushed further east of Bilohorivka, the one in Luhansk, with Ukrainian forces likely gaining control of Zolotarivka and advancing to the T-1302 highway near Maloryazantsive. We are cautious about using the words near Lysychansk, but I think the map speaks for itself. 
The GSAFU also reported that Ukrainian troops had broken through Russian defenses on the Luhansk-Donetsk administrative border and advanced to Mykolaivka. Ukrainian troops are now 15 kilometers from Popazna. However, the terrain is naturally barren and will be extremely hard to traverse. The bigger impact of the advance is that Russian proxy troops, mostly LNR Mobics that are defending the Verknokomyanka oil refinery, are in a salient. Some assessment? While an approach from the West would be suicidal across open fields where both belligerents hold fire control, Ukrainian forces appear to be using the bypass and threatened encirclement tactic. The oil refinery is in a strategic location. Its liberation would open up a G-lock from Siversk to the refinery and provide a jumping-off point to advance on the southern edge of Lysychansk, unwinding the Russian advances from May and June. PMC Wagner has taken over the defense of Vasilivka on the Donetsk-Luhansk administrative border after the collapse of LNR units of the 3rd Brigade due to severe combat losses. A Russian barracks in Chervonopopivka was hit by Ukrainian artillery, killing 20 Mobics and wounding 30 more. You're listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast. Our team of journalists, researchers and analysts is funded by readers, listeners and viewers just like you. To support independent journalism, please consider becoming a patron. You can find us on patreon.com at malcontentnews. Moving on to the Kharkiv region. The Russian objective is to lock military resources in place, launch terror attacks on civilians in an attempt to maximize casualties by deprivation of heat, water and medical services, and to break morale. The Ukrainian objective is to liberate all of Kharkiv Oblast, sever G-locks into Luhansk, protect civilian lives, and defend the Ukrainian border. Russian sources reported they had launched an offensive in Tvrychne. Russian mill bloggers claimed that their troops had advanced to Hryanikivka on October 19th. So, either the report was an exaggeration, or Russian troops were pushed back in the last 10 days. Based on the reports, we've adjusted the map and moved Hryanikivka back to liberated, and Dvorichne as contested. As part of punitive strikes on Ukrainian civilians and civilian infrastructure for the attack on the Black Sea Fleet on October 29th, Kharkiv was hit by at least one cruise missile launched by Russian strategic bombers over the Caspian Sea. Mayor Ihor Terehov reported that, quote, critical infrastructure had been damaged, but there were no reports of power outages in the city caused by the missile strike. Russian troops launched a spoiling attack from the border into Zelene and were repelled by Ukrainian National Police and Territorial Guard units. In the Cherniv and Sumy region, the Russian objective is to lock Ukrainian military resources into place and launch terror attacks on civilians in an attempt to break morale and maximize casualties by deprivation of heat, water, and medical services. The Ukrainian objective is to maintain the integrity of the international border, deter attacks, and protect civilian lives. Dmitro Zhivitsky, Sumy Oblast administrative and military governor, reported the Hromadas of Seredina Buda and Krasnopilia were shelled by mortars and artillery fired by Russian troops from across the border. A total of 30 mortar shells were fired, damaging one home. A woman was injured by a landmine in a separate incident, suffering a head injury from shrapnel, but she is expected to survive. 
In the Cherniv Oblast, the village of Khalakhanivka was struck by 21 122-millimeter shells fired from across the Russian border. The attack targeted a Ukrainian defensive position with no casualties reported. In the Kyiv region, the Russian objective is to launch terror attacks on civilians in an attempt to maximize casualties by deprivation of heat, water and medical services, and to break morale. The Ukrainian objective is to deter attacks and protect civilian lives. A Russian cruise missile struck Kyiv, cutting off power and water to half of the city. The strike was part of widespread punitive attacks across Ukraine targeting civilians and civilian infrastructure. In the Black Sea, Crimea, and Odessa region, the extent of damage to the Russian Black Sea fleet after the Ukrainian attack using unmanned surface vessels, or USF, and kamikaze drones remains unclear. Video clearly shows one USF striking an Admiral Grigorovich-class missile frigate. It is unclear if the vessel was the Admiral Essen or the Admiral Makarov. The ship appears to have been struck at the waterline while sailing within the port. Based on available geolocation information, the ship was hit outside of the port of Sevastopol. Some assessment here. Ukrainian officials claim that the Admiral Makarov, the Black Sea Fleet flagship, was the vessel struck in the attack. We are awaiting independent verification, which will be hard to come by with Russian leadership executing operational security in Sevastopol. The rapid attempt to obfuscate the information space with multiple versions of what happened suggests that the damage is far worse than the Russian MOD has reported. A second video shows another USF striking an unknown vessel, while a third is destroyed by machine gun fire from a Russian helicopter. The Russian Ministry of Defense claims that the minesweeper, Ivan Golubets, received, quote, slight damage in the attack. An initial report by the MOD that the Admiral Makarov had suffered shrapnel damage that disabled its radar system was walked back. City officials in Sevastopol announced that public access to the closed-circuit TV system in the city and port was being disabled, while maintaining the narrative that the attack was ineffective. Our intelligence source reports that the Ivan Golubets was heavily damaged, and two to three more unnamed vessels received minor to moderate damage. If the radar dome on one of the Admiral Grigorovich-class frigates has been damaged or destroyed, it may be very difficult to replace due to sanctions and a dependency on Polish and Ukrainian parts. The Kremlin announced it was pulling out of the grain shipment deal after the attack, and falsely alleged that the attack on Sevastopol was launched from a grain ship sailing out of Odessa. Moscow has also blamed the United Kingdom for the attack and claims they will present evidence to the United Nations Security Council. Ihor Konashenkov, the chief spokesperson for the Ministry of Defense of Russia, claims the British Navy directed the attack from a secret base in Ochakiv, which has been subject to Russian shelling for months. Oleksiy Danilov, secretary of the National Security Council of Ukraine, dismissed the claim as delusional and paranoid. Some assessment here. NATO did it is another excuse Moscow has repeatedly used when there has been a devastating attack on its military infrastructure. The British angle further indicates that the situation for the Black Sea Fleet is likely worse than reported. There is nothing to indicate UK or NATO involvement in the attack. Fun fact, the Russian Navy captured a disabled Ukrainian UAF in September and decided to blow it up instead of inspecting it.
Russia appeared to step back from the attack launched from a grain ship claim, with Andrei Rudenko, Russia's deputy foreign minister, saying that grain exports could restart after an investigation into the attacks. Okay, assessment here. It was Ukraine, with UAFs that they developed, that you knew about in September and ignored, and after probing and testing, were used in a large-scale attack. You're welcome. You can remit a check of 1 billion rubles and 100 kilograms of the finest Russian potatoes to our mailing address as payment for our thorough investigation. Um, I would like to get them without polonium, though, please. For all intents and purposes, Russia had withdrawn from the grain shipment agreement weeks ago, blockading 218 cargo ships in Ukrainian ports and over 2 million tons of cargo. Ukraine, Turkey, NATO, and the United Nations weren't having it, and told Russia that 14 cargo vessels under escort would sail out of Odessa without their permission. The vessels would be escorted by Ukrainian Navy green water vessels through the previously agreed area of control, and then escorted by the Turkish military. At the time of recording, the convoy of bulk grain carriers had departed from Odessa as Russian cruise missiles flew over the city in a punitive attack. As a point of clarification, the cargo ships were not being targeted as part of the attacks across Ukraine. OCS reported that air defenses intercepted two Russian KH-101 cruise missiles over the Odessa Oblast. On the Kinburn spit of Crimea, Russian forces are installing concrete bunkers as Crimean officials maintain an unnatural fear of a large-scale amphibious landing launched from the alleged no-longer-secret United Kingdom Navy base in Ochakiv. Quick sidebar here. Russia, are you okay? Because there are plenty of decaffeinated coffee choices that are just as rich and full-bodied as the good stuff. In central and western Ukraine, the Russian objective is to launch terror attacks on civilians in an attempt to maximize casualties by deprivation of heat, water, and medical services, and to break morale. The Ukrainian objective is to deter attacks and protect civilian lives. Russia launched a wave of at least 50 KH-101 and KH-59 air-to-surface missiles at various targets across Ukraine, most targeting western and central regions. Ukrainian air defenses reportedly shot down 44 of the 50 missiles. An unknown number of Iranian-sourced Shahed-136 kamikaze drones were also used in the onslaught. A total of 18 Russian missiles and drones hit targets across Ukraine, again mostly in the western and central parts of the nation, knocking out power to millions. A missile hit critical electrical infrastructure in the Chernivtsi Oblast. Local officials asked residents to maintain operational security and not to share pictures or reports on the extent of power outages. In Svitlovodsk, Kirovrad Oblast, an energy facility was hit by a missile. At the time of recording, the extent of damage was unknown. In the Lviv and Poltava Oblasts, Russian cruise missiles were shot down by air defenses. Russian missiles were intercepted in the Vinitsia and Khmelnytsky oblasts, with debris landing in civilian areas. There were no injuries reported. Ukrainian air defense shot down a Russian cruise missile over Moldova, with the debris landing in the village of Naslavsia on the Ukrainian border. Moldovan officials reported there was no damage or casualties. 
At the time of recording, Moldova had not lodged a protest against Russia or Ukraine for fighting in their airspace. Moving on to the Russian front. At the time of recording, there was an unconfirmed report of an explosion at Piskov Air Base in Russia, destroying several aircraft. It appears at this time that the explosion was accident-related and not part of an attack on the base. There was further clarification that two KA-52 alligator attack helicopters were destroyed in the blast, with debris scattered over a 200-meter area. Russian sources claimed that Nikolskoye was shelled, knocking out power to the village in the Bilgorod Oblast. Pictures have emerged showing the state of air defenses around the city of Moscow. Even by Russian standards, it is shocking. Rusted missile launchers still painted in desert colors were attached to trucks that sat so long they're covered in moss. Electronics from the systems have been looted and parts lay on the ground, along with discarded service manuals and spare parts. Let's talk about developments theater-wide and outside Ukraine. Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky held another meeting of the Supreme Commander-in-Chief with his military, intelligence, and security leaders. Members of the meeting discussed the current state of the logistics of the defense forces of Ukraine, specifically the pace of ammunition supply and military equipment, as well as armament repair. Quick assessment here, because I know what you're thinking. Meetings are held once or twice a week, and when public readouts are provided, it is not an indication of an imminent larger military action. The GSAFU reported that up to 950 Russian troops were killed in action between October 29th and 30th. It is very hard to verify killed-in-action reports, but if the number is even close to accurate, more than 1% of all Mobics deployed to Ukraine were killed in a 48-hour period. Wounded in action would be between 2,300 and 3,000, with Russian forces losing the equivalent of an entire brigade. The Ukrainian Air Force has selected a group of pilots that will be sent to so-called partner nations for training on modern fighter jets, including the F-15 Strike Eagle and the F-16. Lieutenant General Mykola Olshuk, commander of the Air Forces of Ukraine, has formed a group of dozens of pilots ready to start training abroad tomorrow. Partners only have to decide on the equipment. The United States military budget for the fiscal year 2023 includes $100 million to train Ukrainian pilots on the A-10 ground attack aircraft, F-15 multi-role fighter, and F-16 fighter. Italy's new right-wing prime minister, Giorgia Maloney, dashed the hopes of the Kremlin and Votniks when she announced that Italy would increase military aid to Ukraine under her leadership. Italian fascists had anticipated Maloney would withdraw support and expressed furious disappointment in her position. A quick editor's note here. Fascists are a political party in Italy, where the term was born, and it is how they identify themselves. Maloney is not part of the fascist party, but gained its support leading up to Italy's national elections. In an address to Parliament last week, Maloney said, quote, The only way to facilitate a peace deal between Russia and Ukraine is helping Kyiv to defend itself militarily. End quote. Speaking of defending militarily, let's talk about Russian mobilization. The Kremlin has reiterated that mobilization is completed and another round will not be necessary. 
Another 137,000 conscripts will move through the military training system in November as part of the biannual draft that Russia normally holds. Their training was delayed by a month due to the mass conscription of 300,000 Mobiks and 13,000 volunteers. In Severodonetsk, the Russian military has prepared a training camp for Mobiks. The fresh recruits are working on building defenses and preparing the city for a siege. Hopefully they aren't expecting a paycheck soon, with widespread reports that the first round of payroll for Mobix was missed, with many reporting they didn't receive their promised payments. In Russian-occupied Mariupol and the surrounding towns, up to 10,000 male residents are being forcibly mobilized in the DNR First Army Corps. Although Russian law requires a person to hold a Russian passport to be conscripted, commissariat officials are handing men a red piece of paper and calling it, quote, good enough. We had reported that a Game of Thrones-grade battle had erupted between Colonel General and aspiring dentist Don Don Ramzan Kadyrov and Colonel General Alexander Lapin, commander of the Russian Central Military District. Lapin lost and was fired by the Kremlin for failing to defend Lehman and the borders of the Donetsk Oblast. In a war of words, Kadyrov called Lapin, quote, talentless, and accused him of hiding in Luhansk, the city, while fighting was happening in the Lehman area. The claim was false, but in a place like the Kremlin, the truth does not matter. On July 3rd, Lapin, who led the attack that enabled the temporary capture of the Luhansk Oblast, was given the title Hero of Russia by President Putin. Quick sidebar here. When exactly has Kadyrov, the aspiring dentist from Chechnya, arrived in Ukraine to directly lead Akhmat to a glorious victory? Exactly. But all is going to plan. In our War Crimes and Human Rights segment, we discuss events that might be upsetting to hear about. There is no graphic detail in today's report, but if you are sensitive to descriptions of human rights abuses, please feel free to skip ahead to the next segment. Timestamps are in the description. Russia and Ukraine conducted another prisoner of war exchange, with 52 troops exchanged by both belligerents. Two more members of the Azov Regiment were released, and two civilians. One Marine, who was a defender of Snake Island, captured on February 25th, was also released. Over 1,000 Ukrainian POWs have been released in exchanges with Russia since February 24th. In geopolitical news, Ole Nikolenko, Ukraine's foreign ministry spokesperson, blasted United States Congressperson Paul Gozar, a Republican from Arizona, for calling Ukrainians, quote, cannon fodder. Nikolenko wrote, quote, U.S. Congressman Paul Gozar's claim that Ukrainians are cannon fodder is absolutely unacceptable. The U.S. knows very well the values that Ukraine is fighting for, freedom, advancement of democracy, the rule of law, and respect for human rights. To question U.S. support for Ukraine is to give Putin the green light to continue murdering Ukrainian people and destroying democracy. End quote. Gozar is part of the Trump-aligned Freedom Caucus and has voted against aid to Ukraine, saying the United States, quote, should not be taking part in the conflict. Russia added 11 more nations and territories to its unfriendly list. The new members include Bermuda, British Antarctic Territory, British Indian Ocean Territory, Cayman Islands, Falkland Islands, 
Montserrat, Pitcairn Islands, St. Helena, Ascension, and Tristan de Cunha, South Georgia and the South Sandwich Islands, Akrotiri and Dekelia, and the Turks and Caicos Islands. Welcome to the club. Freedom to the left, and crispy McDonald's french fries to the right. Yevgeny Prigozhin, the financial backer and head of PMC Wagner Group, asked the RIA to block YouTube in Russia. He claims that content on the platform openly humiliates and insults the Russian military and distributes Russophobic content that children can see. Prigozhin argued that the fine structure that Alphabet, YouTube's parent company, has elected to pay is insufficient punishment. In economic news, the ruble is expected to open slightly up, with an exchange rate of 62 for one U.S. dollar. Oil prices are expected to open lower, with WTI trading at $86 a barrel and Brent down to $94. United States RBOB wholesale gasoline on the spot market is steady, expected to open this morning at $2.90 a gallon, or $0.77 a liter. EU Dutch TTF natural gas futures dropped to 127 euros per megawatt hour for December 2022 contracts. December contracts were trading at 141 euros on Friday. Chicago SRW wheat futures rose on the news that Russia would blockade grain shipments, with the price increasing over 5% to $8.76 per bushel for December 2022 delivery. And that's what we know. Join me again tomorrow for more updates. Until then, stay safe, everyone. You've been listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast. To help keep us independent, please consider providing financial support by becoming a patron. Want on-demand news in your hand? Download the Google News app and make Malcontent News one of your favorites to receive breaking news updates. Thank you for listening.